Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our live stream question and answer today on Patreon. And um, hope everybody's doing good. Head into spring and perhaps some big changes ahead for everybody. Uh, but let's just go ahead right to the question. Okay, Thomas asked, if our purpose in coming here is to gain new perspective, like the child who grows up in the white room, um, not understanding darkness fully or fully comprehending the light, what should we do with that understanding once we have it? What purpose does this new perspective have um, serve? Um, what he's talking about is the analogy of like why incarnate at all i mean we're up we start as a spirit eternal spirit being in the oneness of god so why are we coming here why come here and suffer why go through all this well the point is that like thomas is saying it, it the analogy daskos gave it's like two boys growing up in a room full of light the light's always on from their birth on so when they're 12 they don't know anything but light so if you ask them what's darkness, they don't know. They have no answer. You ask them what's light. They don't know because they can't compare it. So you take one child and take him outside and show him the dark night sky and then bring him back in. He goes, okay, now I understand what's darkness and light. Because this incarnation is giving us, all of our incarnations are giving us this kind of comprehension, this kind of realization. So that after all these long incarnated journeys, that's what it's serving. It's serving us to help us understand the difference between light and darkness, between shadow and the reality from which the shadow is projected. So all of this awareness of duality, basically, it's an awareness of duality. See, when we're in God, we're in the oneness, we're in beingness. But when we incarnate, we come out of beingness into the worlds of existence. Well, Phenomenally, we come out of the worlds of beingness into existence. And so here's where we find duality. Here's where we find the illusions. Here's where we find all the trouble. But it's giving us something so valuable. It's giving us realization. And we go through these layers, these stages of realization until we back to God. And at that point, we realize we're one with God. We are God. So it's the journey of the prodigal son, but what it's really given us is realization. We don't have that when we start. We're one with God, but we don't know that we're not God. We don't know that other people are not God. So it takes this incarnation, when I say people, I mean eternal spirit beings. It takes this whole process uh, to do that, and that's what the perspective serves. Okay. Yes. Uh, there is a parable. Uh, we have uh, the brother uh, called Archangel. We are also, we human beings are also Archangel. But uh, the big difference between Archangels and we human beings, uh, we become the prodigal son, you know, uh, separate, you know, leave uh, the kingdom of the, the heaven, the father's house, and through the whole incarnations, all incarnations, we experience many things and bring it, bring the old memories when we go back to uh, our father's house. The archangels never let leave the father's house. 
but that we human beings come down on earth and incarnate again and again. And when we go back, we bring back all the memories and experiences of and realizing we are God. So we will gain a lot of souvenirs through our own experiences and realize we are God at the end. The next one Thomas is asking is, I asked Daniel a while ago for advice on fasting and he sent me a link to a pretty cool Essene website that gave me some remarkable insights on the benefit of fasting. Could you share any of yours or Daskalos insights on fasting? Um, Although Daskalos had these, this book that I sent you the link to, I've never heard him really mention anything about fasting. Um, he did say, as far as food, you know, it's like well, you can't meditate after a full stomach. So it's good not to meditate on a full stomach. But that's the only comment I really heard of him make so much about food, although he certainly um, reflected Christ's statement. It's not what goes in man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out. So Daskalos focused on really what was really causing the problem. It was not so much the food as it is our negative emotions, our jealousies, our hatreds, our fears, our anxieties. Everybody's got so much anxiety today. Well, it's no wonder when you look around the world. But um, my, my, my thing is I, I have and do sometimes fast, and it's fantastic. It's a really, really great way. It really, what you're doing, is like um, you're really basically starving the elementals. And you'll notice that when you do long fast, um, you know, it, it your, your thought process, everything changes inside your thought process. And so you, you're doing a great purification, but you should also do it with prayer. So prayer, pray for what you what you want to accomplish in yourself, raising your consciousness, uh, uplifting your self-awareness, helping a friend, any of that. But pray and fast together is the best. Mm -hmm. uh Actually, we a lot of uh, aesthetic vitality, life energy to digest our food. So it's a good idea to take a light meal, eat to easy, uh, easy to digest, which is easy to digest. Or sometimes we do, uh, no, it's a good idea to do the fast. Fast to, to to sorry to do the fast uh, to kind of give a digestive system to take a rest mm. and so in, on that purpose it's good idea to uh, do the fasting but not too much in this teaching system uh, once we introspect every day and uh, mm, ourselves in a better as a better self then we can steadily proceed our spiritual journey so fasting is gonna help us but not too much Thomas's last question is what are your thoughts on muscle testing as a means of asking self our self questions this is a practice common in energy work 
one time I visited Daskalos on Cyprus and uh, he invited me into his room and we were sitting there talking and some Cypriot student came in and they started asking him a question, but in Greek. Um, I wasn't sure if I should try to pick up what they were talking about or not pick up what they were talking about because it was private. So I was kind of in a dilemma. Desko stops the conversation. And he says, look, we're talking in Greek. Try to follow along. And what the guy was asking him, he was asking about these kind of self-testing questions. Now, back at this time, we used to people in the new age, spiritual seekers, used to take a piece of paper and draw a line down the center, put yes on one side, no on the other side, and then hold a uh, a plum, a pendulum, or something over this line and hold it and ask yourself the question. And if the answer was yes, the pendulum would tend to go to the yes side. If it was no, it would tend to go to the no side. And he's talking this whole time. And every once in a while, I get, I, I understand what he's saying. So after it's over, he asked me to tell him what they talked about. And he did this to, to many people. And, um, I said, well, you were, you know, I, he made a gesture. So I, somehow I got, I got what he was talking about and what he was saying. And he confirmed this with me that that's not a good way to do it because what happens is when you hold it up there, the elementals in your subconsciousness imperceptibly affect the muscles in your hands and make the, the thing swing in the direction you want, or in this case, a would be the muscle testing. When I was talking about muscle testing, it's like you, you push. <laughs> we did that thing. So when you push the hand down, it, it gives you some, it's, if you're weaker, a good thing for you, like, I don't know, alcohol, coffee, whatever. Uh, but I don't believe this is any more safe way of asking yourself questions than it was uh, about the pendulum. So, um, I know it's a common practice, and it's not that it's always wrong, but it's influenced by what you already believe, what you've already stored in your subconsciousness, what you hope to happen. So those things start to affect this testing to see if the question is, is valid. Okay. Daniela. Hi, Daniela. She's asking, what's the difference between Egyptian origin and Daskalosa's symbol of life? why the adjustments changes are needed thank you love yeah that's a good question because you know i'm writing all this in the next book you are the whale but i'll, I'll give it a little bit of it here um the, the symbol of life which you we don't have it up here but um which you know is the tree of life that's the jewish expression of it the tree of life the kabbalah but our symbol of life now is more like a Christian Kabbalah because everything non-Christian has been taken out of it. Why did they do that? Well, it starts in in Atlantis. That's where the symbol comes from. And they bring it to Egypt when they develop their thing. So the symbol of life was taught in the mystery school. Now, the symbol of life is one of the most powerful teachings and practices we can engage in. But we have to do this other stuff first. We have to get used to the etheric vitality. We have to create uh, the power within us, the ability within us to hold our mind fixed without being disturbed by a bunch of thoughts because we're visualized. We're going to do real powerful things with the symbol of life work, and we're going to be starting seminars or webinars on it soon. Um, but it's so powerful. So, But now it comes 
Egypt, okay, comes out of Atlantis. I don't know what was happening in Atlantis. Desclos only revealed that they were using it and it came from there. So it's in the Egyptian thing now. And now the Egyptians put the names of Greek, I mean, of Egyptian gods and goddesses in the centers on the symbol. And they were able to perform great miracles, what we call great miracles. And it was taught in the Egyptian mystery school. Now, Moses was an Egyptian prince, so he had access to this teaching in the Egyptian mystery school. And when the, the pharaoh didn't make him the next pharaoh, he got teed off. And he wanted to be the leader someplace, so he killed all this Egyptian stuff in him, left and became the leader of the Jews. But he took the symbol of life with him. Now, he made changes to it. Moses made changes to it. He took out some of the names of the Egyptian gods and goddesses and actually put demons' names in it. They go out, and you even read this in the Bible about King Solomon using the symbol, Solomon's seal, which is the symbol in the center, uh, number six on the symbol of life. Um, he was able, it says, to control demons to build the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever seen that temple, the stones are some of the biggest stones in the world, certainly at the base, uh, underground, but giant stones without, they had no cranes or anything. So the story is he was able to control demons to make this temple. Then after the temple's done, he catches the demons and puts them in jars, big clay jars of, and seals them in the temple. It was a bad idea because when the Romans sacked the temple in 79 AD, they broke the jars and it released all the demons. And there was this bloodshed all across the Mediterranean area, down into Egypt and Asia, where they went around. The Romans went around. They were so tired of the Jews. They slaughtered them. But since they didn't know who the Essenes were, they slaughtered them too. So it was a, it was a really bad time. So the symbol of life basically um, goes off in the, and the Jewish people develop as, as uh, Kabbalah. But it has the names of demons in it. still does. And so that means you can use the symbol for good or bad. This is why the, the changes were needed. So Moses goes off and does his thing. Um, 200 years later, he reincarnates as Ankanath. Now, by the law of cause and effect, the law of karma, he has to fix this because he's done something really bad with it. Dusko said he was the biggest black magician ever because he used the symbol of life, the teachings and the power of the symbol of life to kill the firstborn of the Pharaoh, of all the noble people, of all the common people, of all the slaves, of all the common people's firstborn animals. They kill the firstborn of every one of those, the animals, the slaves, the common people, the nobles, the king, Pharaoh. So this has to be changed. So he reincarnates as Ankanan, and they take those kind of things out of it. He and Koratan take those kind of things out of it. Then um, it kind of goes dark. We don't really know what happened at that time. But the next time it shows up is Origin in Egypt, which is part of this question. Now, Origin had this direct, I mean, he was as a child, he was drawn this because he had worked on it in a previous lifetime, in the Egyptian lifetime. So he was drawn it, but he was really confused. Why am I so focused on this? Why do I care about drawing this? Um, and he had a direct experience. I won't go into all the details of it, but um, he understood. So what he does, now that he's 200 AD, 250 AD, 
he takes the revelations of St. John and changes the symbol of accordingly. So the old symbol, they had a circle on the top, a center on the top. Ours has triangle with uh, three little triangles in the triangle because it represents the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, absolute wisdom, total love, total power. That's what that means. And let's see. Yeah, so that's close. And it, then it kind of goes, you know, it shows up here and there, but mostly the, the Jewish one is the one. That's... So Daskalos just and just gave way more details and really gave the instructions how to do it. And he wrote the Symbol of Life book, which is a very amazing book. It doesn't have everything in it, but it starts our approach to the Symbol of Life. What he would say is the secrets, there are secrets about the symbol of life practice. And he's not going to give them to us, but he's going to give us the keys that when we start to practice and start to work with it, we're going to open the locks and we're going to find the secrets ourselves. The secrets are not allowed to be told to, to you. You have to unfold them in yourself because that's the safe way. I hope I answered that well. Um, do you want to say? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, in the Egyptian uh, in the period of Koraton and Ankenton, the as he said, the this top part is like a sun, a tone, a round shape. The in the in the, a lot of change improvement are done comparing the original tree of life, which was existing from ancient. And uh, a certain major change had done already in the period of Ankenaton and the Koraton. One of them is uh, uh, done. And in the period of origin, as he says, the round one, he changed the, the round shape into the, the triangle on the top and divided it into divide it into three small triangles and the inverted triangle in the middle. And also uh, make the arch on the top, uh, expressing uh, unmanifested God on the top. This is uh, what the uh, origin done in his period, cooperated by uh, Archangel Michael and purified all uh, centers, and not to be misused more uh, strongly, firmly. And uh, yes, and uh, in the period of the uh, uh, he just made a great uh, book and he's uh, protecting and guiding us as a brother guide and uh, make uh, publish it world. And silently watching over us uh, for us safely to seek the pathway. So our symbol of life is uh, completely safe because the great effort of Ankenaton, uh, Koratan, and Origin it, uh, improved into the very safe one. This is a big difference between the uh, tree of life and our symbol of life. We have 
e-bloomen in the center. Even if uh, we try to use it for the evil purpose, archangels will prevent it, not for us to go forward. And I'll just say from my own experience, I've been doing this for over 50 years, studying spiritual things, practicing them. And I've been through a lot of different practices. And I'll say about the symbol of life, some of them, they're nice, they're gentle. Some of them, are, they, they all have value at their own level, the sincere ones. But there's a great deal of difference between the spiritual practices available in the world today and the symbol of life. And I'm not putting down any existing practices. I'm trying to emphasize the power of the symbol of life. For me, it's like some of these other practices are like riding roller skates and the symbol of life is like riding a rocket ship. So I advise you, every one of you <laughs> who takes this up, buckle your seatbelts because there's going to be lots of changes come about. It's going to purify. It's going to reject anything. The symbol of life rejects anything in you that's not of the light. Now, there may be a tremendous struggle during that period, but overall, if you keep practice with it, it's rejecting. It's just purifying, basically. Raising it there for you, raising your consciousness, self-awareness while you do the practice. So, okay. Oh, Gustavo asked a question. Spiritual leaders everywhere emphasize that Mother Nature is angry with us. What? Mother Nature. What's Mother Nature? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, right? In fact, if you go back even using the word nature, the Holy Spirit is pan-universal feminine. So that's why we call it Mother Nature. But if you go back to the beginning of the word nature, where does it come from? Egypt. Uh, in the Rome, I think it was Latin and Greek, then it comes out of us, but it was not natura, so which meant God. So Mother Nature is God. It's just another name of God. And Mother Nature, being the Holy Spirit, is one aspect, one expression of, of the divine trinity. It's one thing, but it has three. The Son is the total love, total goodness. So, but here's the interesting thing. Christ said to somebody, I will forgive you. The Father will forgive you, but the Holy Spirit won't forgive you. Now, why would they say that? That's an interesting statement because it's really going to reveal something about how this all works. Well, of course, God the Father, God the Son is a selfhood, but the Holy Spirit is a dynamical expression of God. It's not an individualized selfhood. And it's composed by all these archangelic beings who have a have a collective selfhood, not a, not an individual selfhood like the human beings. So um, the Holy Spirit doesn't forgive. All that means is it's the lawgiver, right? I mean, it's giving the laws. So it's giving the law of gravity. You fall off the house, it's not going to forgive you for stepping off the edge of the roof. <laughs> You know, or if you smack somebody else, it's not going to you're going to have to have that smack back. It's a law. So now we're dealing with something impersonal, the impersonal aspect of God. Just manifesting the law of cause and effect, basically. Um, now, the second part of the question is, does this mean we need to stop driving cars and go back to medieval age like living? No, of course not. Of course not. We're supposed to go forward. 
we're supposed to go forward. But we're supposed to go forward consciously, knowing what we're doing. Right now, we're like just stupid children destroying the planet because we're not thinking. Or was, you know, there's a bunch of people are now. It's much better than it was when I started. But it's still, we don't really, we think all this is here for us and we can just egotistically cut down all the forest for our, our benefit without understanding the biodiversity and how all this stuff is needed to make this living planet. We were given this planet. It was absolutely perfect. Pure food, pure water, pure air. Everything was pure. And what did we do with it? We messed it up a little, somewhat. Because we don't, we're, we didn't think. We just wanted to take for ourselves. We wanted to, oh, there's, there's stuff here. We'll take that and we'll make that and we'll get rich. That's basically what's been driving the destruction of the planet. Greed. Egotistical greed. Um, so, no, we're not supposed to go back. We're supposed to become conscious. We're supposed to realize and be good stewards of this planet. Unfortunately, the planet didn't come with an instruction book. No manual. So... It's the spiritual masters who are bringing the, forward, the messages forward, the teachings forward of how we can be good stewards to our planet. Yes. Um, Mother Nature and planetary logos, whatever, they are just love. So they never uh, get angry or uh, give us a kind of torture or try to give hardships. They are not like that. It's not like that. Uh, by the cause of which human beings create by our own egotism, then the condition should be fixed or balanced by the law of harmony. A law of cause and effect. So this law works perfectly with mathematical precision. So it seems like a punishment or some, some god is angry uh, doing something uh, hard, uh, giving us some uh, penalty or punishment. It seems like that with the human being's intelligence, at our level, but the truth is not. It's just balanced. Planetary Logos has always given us love. It's love itself, but the, when it needs fixed or to be balanced, uh, the event, what we call disaster or unhappy things happen, but it's not the, for the, the giving us the uh, penalty, not like that. The next question is from Eric. Is it okay to place my hand on someone else's solar plex plexus center in an attempt to give etheric vitality through visualization? Is it okay to do this for a child? Will it always be helpful, or are there situations where this can be harmful? Um, yeah, almost always it's good. Now, of course, if you've got bad feelings, you don't put your hands on somebody. You know, if you're not balanced and feeling positive, I wouldn't suggest doing that. But almost always, even just simple unconscious touching is, is a good thing for people because there's an exchange of etheric vitality, like you're mentioning. Now, the etheric vitality gets transferred by touching, by thinking about touching, um, by a glance from the eye. 
slight touch, you can pass it many, many ways. But the best way is to, to use the aesthetic ether, feel it coming in the person, use the imprinted ether, and see it going in the person. And of course, now you're using the etheric, etheric uh, property called kinesis because it's moving, the energy is moving into the body. It's moving out of your body and into the body. And it happens automatically. If you're around people with low energy, they, without you knowing so much, unless it gets obsessive, they'll just suck energy out of it. They're not trying. It's just that that's the law. It's like if you have water up here, it's, it's definitely going to go to a low place. And so that's what the etheric vitality is doing in others. But, yeah, it's, it's a very good thing to be doing. Um, there are certain situations where we have to be aware and know that sometimes when we try to heal something and we put a lot of etheric energy in there, we can actually energize the thing we're trying to correct. So you have to be trained. You have to know about uh, uh, how to dematerialize, maybe not totally dematerialize, but you have to start that practice. So one of the things we do is like we'll see a form, a five-pointed star, whatever, some sort of visual, and we see it really strong. We get the detail, and then we dissolve it, and then we bring it back. And then we dissolve it. So when someone's having a lot of pain in a certain area and you put a lot of energy into it, you can just feed the pain. So you need to learn how to use the colors, uh, which color is good for which kind of application. White's always good. Um, but we're, we can visualize a color because, oh, we can visualize a nice color on somebody. But we have to know what the effect that color is going to be. If we visualize the wrong color, we will energize the thing. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. Yes, uh, we can send the uh, light, giving light to the solar plexus. And we can concentrate on our solar plexus because it's a, a storage of the aesthetic vitality. We can give uh, to people. Uh, the aesthetic vitality visualizing a white color or sky blue uh, color. Uh, but for the children or uh, the people who has sickness, we can send the light basically for the solar plexus to the solar plexus. And by touching the hand, uh, it's okay if they feel more confident or uh, if they want to feel or oh, oh, somebody is trying to uh, uh, heal me and when they feel good you know we can use our hand you know but it's not necessary actually even as he said we can close our eyes and send the light uh, in the remote place without touching our hand we can do both way but uh, for children or other for other people or even to ourselves, I suggest you not to stimulate our uh, solar plexus right before our, we sleep. If we work on our solar plexus, please uh, do it in the morning or daytime. That's more effective and safe. I have a um, popular question from our friend Hugo in South Africa. I'm wondering if it's possible to answer. I'm watching YouTube videos about extraterrestrials. And in parentheses, he says, if you watch one, the Google AI sends you thousands more. <laughs> so 
So his question is, are there good and bad, negative intentional intent extraterrestrials? Um, from my experience, I can say I've never seen or heard or felt a bad one. Dasplow says there are about 40 different groups coming from different planets visiting us. And he says, I am in touch with most of them. And I've never seen an, an alien with evil intent. Now, some of them need to materialize ships. Some of them don't. It's a, it's a big thing. And we, we can't go into all that today, but it's um, there are no negative ones. And, and why? Why are there no, not negative ones? So you're hearing all this reptilian stuff and, they, you know, the, here's the other thing. The Pentagon is starting to release this information about UFOs. But if you listen carefully, they're putting in this thing that be afraid, be very afraid. They're invading our airspace. They're, you know, they're, they are setting up this diet, this message thing that, you know, we got to be careful. Our alien invasion is next or something like that. But it's not true. And also, I worked with Dr. Mitchell who was the sixth astronaut to walk on the moon. He knows very much about these and says these aliens are walking in human bodies in the halls of NASA. And he too says he's never seen, there's never been one with bad intent. And the proof is they would have blown us up by now. If they were evil. And the reason to our earth, is like a safety mechanism. It's a universal safety mechanism. Because the planets are so far apart and not only the planets, but the galaxies and the other solar systems are so far apart, it's really not feasible to travel in a physical ship to get to Earth. It's just too far. I don't know exactly what they are, but maybe a million light years away to the next galaxy or something. So it takes light a million years to reach Earth. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just not possible. And it's not necessary. It's, it's no more necessary than for you to get in your car and go drive down to the library to research something. Now we can just look on the internet. We don't have to go to the place. So what these guys do is they raise their consciousness. They come out of their material body in the first eczematosis, the first out-of-body experience. Then they come out of their body in the second eczematosis, the second out-of-body experience. Now they exist as a self-awareness purely on the noetical level. They're not in a material body. They're not even in a psychical body. And so the noetic goal all the planets in the galaxy, everything is connected. Psychical, no, they don't. The psychical medical world is one thing over the whole galaxy. So what they do level and just basically focus on where they want to be and they travel in a new attic and then they just lower their vibrations down to the psychical, down to the physical. They can make a material body if they need to. They don't have to. They can be in this theory double of the material world and observe. They don't even have to be in a material body. They can be in the noetical body and observe the world. But for the ones we're seeing with where the spaceships come and all these things, they're here doing that because they're trying to wake us up. This is a time of great awakening. We should take great advantage of it because not it's not only this pandemic thing, but the alien thing. We need to understand who these guys are and why are they doing? They're not here for their own purpose. These are self-realized beings. Anybody can do this and get to this level. They're self-realized. So, which means they've gotten rid of negativity. They've gotten rid of uh, selfishness. They've gotten rid of all that. Why they exist? They, they, they've mastered it. They exist to help us, wake us up, to help us start our process of mastering all this. And um, let's see. 
Yeah. So just be aware of, of the of the media's presentation that aliens are going to invade us. You know, Werner von Braun said that that was going to be one of the after the terrorist threat, we would be taught we would be lied to that the aliens are bad and they're trying to invade us and we need to give them money the government money to put nuclear weapons in space which everybody on the earth said no don't do that but they're trying to create a, a, a false flag a, some danger thing to scare us so that we'll allow them to do what they shouldn't do anyway that's coming <laughs> yes i have the same idea what we call ET, extraterrestrial, or archangelic uh, self-realized being. Otherwise, they can't approach to uh, the, the different planet. And they have a certain mission to wake us up and undevelop the uh, stage of human being. They need to wake wake us up. So they might have done kind of uh, purposely, purposely. Everything has done, had done purposely. It seems like an accident to our eye, but uh, again, they are self-realized archangelic beings. So everything according to uh, the development of our self-consciousness of the human being, they just uh, Give the information little by little and the disclosure probably will happen soon. Okay. It's happening yeah. now. Yes. <laughs> they tell us that they, they, you know, no, the, the Roswell didn't happen. No, we don't have any alien parts or something. And then, like, what has it been? Um, you know, 70 years later, they say, oh, by the way, we did have it. There was a crash. Well, how can we believe them? <laughs> now they're starting to tell us more. Okay, now they're revealing more and more that they've known all along, been telling us they didn't know. But now they've added, they put this poison seed of the alien invasion into it. That's the that's the worst part of it. But the aliens, they're they're loving. In fact, there's one group that when you're in the room with them, you've never experienced so much love. You don't have to talk. You're just in the room with them. They just you know, this, they <laughs> radiate the most <laughs> love you can imagine. You can, it's like it's just completely melts you. So, refined energy and everything melts into love. So, don't feel fear about or, them. Yeah, don't you don't have to worry about that. Everything them. is maintained perfectly. Okay. This is from Vios. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, so excuse me if I didn't. Um, following the whale book practices, is it enough or is something else needed also? Thank you. Um, when I first went to Daskalos, man, he let, you know, I was recording all his his lessons. And then I went back and I started a circle and we had people on, we played the lessons. And then when I went back, all the way back on the plane, I kept thinking, I got to get more recordings from Daskalos, you know. So I come back in the very first day. Now Daskalos knows everything you're thinking anyway. The very first day I'm into the class, he's talking and he kind of does this like he always does, is speak to somebody's inside them that nobody knows. And so he says, 
There's enough lessons, and he said this many times, there's enough lessons in two or three, I mean, there's enough material in two or three lessons to practice for 50 years. Whoa, I heard that. And then right afterwards, I went back and sat with him in his room like I often did. And he goes, do you have enough lessons? Well, yes, Daskos, yeah. Thank you. Yes, Daskos. <laughs> He taught you so, I mean, in the way he taught was nobody taught like that. So, so um, we're getting lots of questions. We need to move through it. Let me just answer these two that popped in on the chat. Okay. The chat. okay. Uh, relating to this, if it's so, that's it. But maybe we do better answer like the Yes, because they are waiting. Okay. John asked, what? Did Daskalo say about diet? I believe I read somewhere that he ate, did eat meat. Did he say anything about vegetarian being important for spiritual growth? Any foods to avoid a beneficial food? Did Daskalo give specific practices for learning how to leave one's body? Would you be willing to share that? Well, we talked a little bit about the food thing, that he didn't really stress diet or anything. He stressed the emotions, you know, kind of mastering your emotions. If your emotions are disturbed, you could eat the best food in the world and it's going to turn to poison. So really the power is in ma mastering our mind and emotions, our thoughts and feelings. And by mastering them, I just mean using them constructively. And um, let's see what's some of the other question here. me, but uh, as I understood what I was told was that as he was, um, you know, all, when he was younger, all through his life, he just every once in a while say, I, I feel like eating a little meat. So Sunday, they would, his wife would fix a meat dish. This is what I'm told. I saw him eat meat. Um, but again, it's what comes out of your mouth, not what goes into your mouth that defiles people. So he didn't stress that. He stressed what the PowerPoint was, which is our own thoughts and emotions, our own elementals. Certainly in a previous incarnation, he was a vegetarian. Any foods to avoid or beneficial foods? Well, he, he made a modern mention about the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spiritual Way, which is when the animal, the fear, the, the panic, the terror gets put into the meat through the whole way of consciousness of what he said. So when somebody eats that, they're taking in some of that stress, some of that negative thing. So if you're a meat eater, I think it would be better to uh, only eat meat when an animal died in its sleep or something, because the killing of it is horrible. It's horrible for the animal. It's hard, and all the other animals hear it. They're all just panicking as they go to, to their death, to their slaughter. So that's not a good thing. But, you know, back on Cyprus, things were a lot simpler than it wasn't this food ink where there's just this mass production of killing animals for our food. And he did say the animals were not put here on the planet just to be our food. Everything's important. Everything's sacred. Um, practices for having an out of body experience consciously. This is the same, same, same thing. Okay. Um, would you be willing to share that exercise? It's 
way more complicated than people just think. Um, the, the practices, the meditations, Aki's given many of these in the seminars, the, uh, you know, not the online seminars, but local seminars. Um, and we we have to we have to create a, uh, a a body to go into. We call it an element of our body. So it's an elementary. So we practice creating it. We practice visualizing it. We practice entering in it. We practice controlling it. Because when you pop out of your body, and most people say this for the first experience, they're terrified. They don't know how to control it. They don't know what to do. And they're out of their body for the first time. They see their body there. It's totally terrifying to most people. So we have to practice. We have to learn how to do that. And yes, there are some really, really advanced. At the, when you get to Despo's innermost teachings, there are exercises for that. But he doesn't give it just out of the beginning, especially to the general public. But, but, but just know that all these practices we're doing lead to those things. And as he says, that you just keep doing this work, then one day, naturally, without a lot of effort, you're going to pop out of your body. You find yourself out of your body. Then you start researching that, how that is to get back in, how it feels to be out of your body, how you can walk through the walls of a door of a material house. I've done that. It's, it's, it's just exactly what he's telling you. Okay. Yes. Uh, going vegetarian and, and uh, healthy food. Ah, uh, as he says, uh, especially high in deep, deep more, uh, more developed uh, conscious uh, like animals, then uh, we take that vibration when they are killed, you know, uh, fear or some kind of negative vibration we take a piece you know as a piece of the meat we take this vibration this is the truth but uh, whatever we take we need the food appreciation to the food which we eat this is the most important thing and one more important uh, suggestion to introspect is not everyone, but uh, many vegetarian people. Please, please check yourself if they are, you are vegetarian. No, don't you? Don't we have kind of superior feeling when we see someone who is eating meat or fish or whatever? You no, know? uh, we really have to be careful. Uh, of our kind of psychical, no ethical uh, elementals which we create inside of us, uh, judging people. Oh, okay. We have to be very careful on that. But uh, this is the point which I really would like to uh, suggest you to be careful. Mm. And the uh, about the out of body exercise, the out of body experience exercise, Daskal says that you know, uh, many people ask how to get outside of the body. And he answers uh, the exercise of uh, raising the arm 
and the uh, raising the material arm first, and the next, uh, you know, raising the uh, etheric visualizing the etheric arm, and uh, we feel touching or back and forth. This is a good exercise for uh, the preparation of the OBE. And the next step is the, the, uh, what we are practicing. We have a lot of exercises uh, to create our light body and transfer our self-awareness and do the exercises. This is a, a good practice for the, uh, the out-of-body experience. This is actually what we are doing is uh, this experience in the psychonoidical world. And when we advanced more, we have a practice advanced practice in the daily life, laying on the bed, uh, get up and walk around the house and going back, repeating this process for a certain period. And we create the, the light body, transfer our self-awareness, do the same exercise things. We will go step by step to, the, to practice out-of-body experience. Um, this is from Andre. I think she lives in Italy, something like that. I'm very grateful. Thank you. My first question is about psychonoetical plan. Are animals and plants who are mistreated and killed on the material plane nice and alive in the psychonoetical plane? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I see people who cut plants with no mercy, I think at the Amazon, for instance, can I heal myself thinking they are not dead in the psychonoetical plane? If so, is it true for our beloved friends, animals? Second question is about attunement. Shall you explain to us how to do that as an easy technique, please? I am asking why Daniel states that we belong to planet Earth. Can you please explain more why we belong to planet Earth? Okay. Well, for sure. I mean, when an animal dies, mistreated or otherwise, it goes to the psychical plane and it's fine. It's not hurt. It's not killed. It's, it lives again. But when I say the animal, we have to pay close attention by what I mean by that. Because an animal has a body. It has a form. Everything existing has to have a form. But there's also... A nature, when I'll say, I just say an angel. It's a projection. It's an elemental from an archangel that gives an individual spirit to that animal that it lives by. So now are we talking about that spirit being on the plane, psychical plane, or are we talking about that body being on the psychical plane? Well, obviously, the physical body doesn't go to the psychical plane, but then the um, nature spirit, along with its psycho, psychical body, we'll have to say it's psychical because. Animals have this like primitive, primitive motion, just like a caveman. It wants food, it's seeking shelter, sex, sleep, all the basic animal things. These aren't highly developed emotions like, hmm, I feel, I feel sad today. It's nothing like that. It's just this raw, instinctive emotion. But because they have it, like they, you know, they'll, they'll be territorial, they'll protect their territory. That's their version of emotion. Um, they'll nurture. They'll, they'll be loving to their own children or their own offspring. So they have this rudimentary psychical body. So you see them on the psychical planes. But since the animal does not use the mind, they aren't on the noetical plane. 
the nature spirit, the, the, the angel and the animal, is not on the noetical plane. However, the form, the animal forms can be found there. So just don't worry. They're, everything's fine. They go over and they, they live fine. Um, okay. Yeah, let's go one by one. There's too many. And oh, then she was, let me just finish this because this this the first question. What uh, so yeah, animals. So it's a plant too. Like the plant, what's the plant's emotional body? What do you think the emotion of a plant would be? It's this desire to express its flowers, its fruit. That's you know, it's not the same as our desires, but it's it's the, kind of an equivalent for a plant emotions it its nature is to express itself to grow big and express its fruit express its flowers express its fragrance its fragrance is part of its emotions really okay so as i said they are such a you know angelic angelic so don't worry uh when it was drawn to their group uh, uh, group, so uh, sorry, group uh, uh, consciousness. Then uh, th they will be fine. But uh, in our psychoanalytical shell, we might have seen animals yeah. torturing. It's yeah. in the shell, but uh, basically they are angels, the archangels. So there's no worry. There's no more torture. You have such a kind heart, but no worry about it. The second part of her question is something practical about attunement. Uh, well, there's another one after that. Uh, you know, simple attunement practices could be, I mean, there's so many things. You can attune to a plant, an animal, whatever. You can set a, a candle flame, dark room, simple candle flame, not one that's shaking, but steady one and try to attune with that. Dasko, I used, I love this when he did this. He would do a candle and he would try to burn off other people's elementals on a, on a talisman. And he put a candle there. And as he's working, he was trying to catch these people's elementals. And he would do this. And his hand would be about this far away from the candle flame. He would just go, and you'd see the candle flame sputter and move in the other direction. And he did it every time he did it, it he would make the, and he enjoyed it. And he was driving elementals, negative elementals, your negative elementals into that fire to be burnt and purified. I don't know how I got it. Maybe she's asking how to practice yeah, So the candle flame is just another thing where you can just attune to the vibration of the candle flame or go out and just sit down and attune to a flower. You can tune to a flower. Um, my um, one advice is that you have to do these other practices first, though. You have to silence the thoughts and emotions coming from your subconscious. You have to do that. Otherwise, when you try to tune, you're going to be, oh, I got to think about the dog, oh, the car, blah, blah, blah. So um, it's, it's just you have to master these early steps. You have to master these early steps first. Please go ahead. I gotta get the power cord. I'd like to take over. Uh, okay. For example, when we try to know this cactus, uh, at the beginning we try to research uh, 
about cactus noetically and they accumulate knowledge about it. But achievement is more like a, it, uh, our, um, how can I say, inherited ability of the divine nature, more like a ability of our soul to know something about the beings or existence, any existence. So when we try to know something, uh, we try to vibrate with the, the things which we want to know. So the, this cactus has its own vibration, right? So we, for the plant, we lower down our vibration and breathe silently and feel it as if we are almost like cactus, feeling the vibration of cactus, but not at the moment yet. We are we, and the cactus is here, but they try to co-vibrate, adjust our vibration into that vibration to feel first. But slowly, slowly, we will know, we will be able to know about it by full attunement at the end. And when we master this ability, then one day, we, when we want to know something, we are in atonement of this cactus. Like this way, you know, attunement is the, the, the method and ability to know and understand something as the ability of our soul. So please try anything, whatever you want to know, Try to adjust your vibration and co-vibrate with the things which you want to know. And when you continue to practice it, one day you will know about the things through your intuition. The last part of her question is, why Daniel states we belong to planet Earth. Can you explain more about why we belong to this planet? When it comes time for spirit beings to incarnate, certain groups get assigned, certain ones get assigned to planets that they're going to incarnate on. So they start this long, long, long incarnational cycles on Earth. And they start as a caveman. They start instinctively. But each planet, it's like she mentioned the planetary logos. There's a being governing the planet that's meant to guide us and lead us through the instinctual level of consciousness, subconscious level, awakening conscious, superconscious, self-superconscious level. That's the job of the planetary lotus is to help all the beings on the planet. And they have helpers too. The planetary logos has 72 helpers. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to raise us up, help us lift up our awareness and raise our consciousness till we reach the final level of consciousness, which is the self superconsciousness, self-realization and the ultimate enlightenment. 
So we belong to this planet. So we, we don't just take off and go incarnate on another planet. We're here for the full process. Only until after the planet, everybody on the planet, try to imagine this, everybody <laughs> on the planet self-realized. There is no more. They don't. People don't see evil. They don't do evil anymore. They just try to develop and do their work. And once the planet becomes self-realized, what happens? Well, these are the extraterrestrials. They come. Then we go out to other planets to help them like we're being helped now. But we belong to planet Earth. Somebody asked this question to Daskalos once. He says, well, it's not like you go to one kindergarten in, in world in the world. If you go to one kindergarten when you graduate, you don't go and move into another kindergarten. You go to a higher level of classes. So too, when we get self-realized on Earth and we complete all our mission on Earth, we go to higher levels. We just don't go to another planet and just do the same thing again. So, uh, yes. So until reaching a certain level, we have to incarnate on the planet Earth. It's a long, long journey. But eventually, ahead, we will help other planet. We will go to the other planet. And we will even become a planet <laughs> very far in the future. Well, the, the, <laughs> a sign. the meaning of the soul. Of the planet. Yes. Anyway, we're out of time, but we have so many more questions. And, and Aki and I don't like to not answer any questions. So mm. we're just going to go on. And you can, if you have to leave, you can come back and listen to the recording or something. But we'd like to go on. Um, and we have some very interesting questions. Questions from Karina. Hi, Karina. Yeah. What exercise practice is recommended immediately to use when a tough situation comes up? I can understand that we introspect later or immediately after, but what can be done right in the midst? But what you'll find out, so you're right about the introspection. You have an experience, a tough experience, and at the end of the day, you think about it, oh, what could I have done better? And you try to adjust your reactions or you stop your reactions and act consciously during tough situations. Well, that's great. But then what happens is you'll have a tough situation and then right after it, you go, Oh man, I really shouldn't have said that. Oh, I, I didn't do the best I could do or whatever. The next phase is when the situation starts to happen, you are introspecting right away. This is the benefit because it becomes just part of your normal waking life to introspect. And it's great because if you're introspecting in the moment, then you won't make the mistake. You won't insult the person. You won't have a big problem with people. You'll be able to maintain, um, let's say, composure. You know, you won't react. I mean, this is where we have to really pay a lot of attention because this is really the point where we can catch our egotism. We have two things. We have an experience. Then we can consciously act to it but what happens is most people just subconsciously react like knee jerk they just immediately <laughs> immediately uh react and that means as vasco has trained and taught us that those are the, the elementals that are already pre-stored in your subconsciousness so you're not being conscious in the moment you're being reactive and that's where all the problems come in that's where all the disagreements with people come in when they start to react to each other's Input instead of staying like in a detached witness or just simply a noetical state where you can kind of just watch it if you can reach, let go of your pre present day personality and kind of reach to your inner self and try to express that. Let that be the thing that responds rather than the reaction. Okay. If we have a, a 
custom, the habit of introspection, then the key point is, and imagine, Krista uh, asked, Karina, Karina asked what, what we should do in the emergency condition. Except that we are facing the physical danger, we have to do something physical, except that, that occasion. Uh, the key is not to react to it, not to be offended, not to be offended, uh, not to feel. Uh, wounded or not to make a please don't make a the big reaction and stay in the peace three of divine natures peace love and wisdom stay in calmness at the in the emergency condition and later we can introspect on that and we can decide it we should take it or reject it. So the first step is uh, in the emergency condition, please do not react to it. And having a time for the introspection, perceive everything from the perspective of the permanent personality and make a decision and manifest that decision for the next opportunity. The key point is not to react like this. <laughs> we have a very good word. Oh, Daskalos, when he was a child, he told his father, nothing matters much and most things don't matter at all. His father wrote it on the wall, I think, or wrote it down someplace. And he said that the rest of all his life. He actually was said it before this life, but nonetheless, um, nothing matters much. Most things don't matter at all. I tend to think everything matters so much. And we put so much energy into it. And we're just wasting energy that we could really use to produce something wonderful. Mm -hmm. Feeling being offended or wounded is the worst enemy and the worst devil in, uh, uh, of our egotism teaching says so. So please uh, don't try not to react whatever happened and stay in calmness in the divine nature as best as possible. And later, through introspection, make a wise decision and express it. Your second question is, I have this consistent experience when meditating that the body sort of dissolves into this not solid state that's constantly changing based on the workings of ourselves. Almost like there's no solid body at all and the chakras are like a skeleton through which all the changes and events concerning the body are orchestrated. Almost serving like a projector of some sort and the body is actually projected in a way. And it's not just the body, but all the events the body participates in. So the question is, does the solid body really exist? Hmm. What's solid? We have to ask that question first. What's solid? Well, you touch the material body, material things. Definitely they're solid. But really, are they that solid? Scientists tell us 
that the atoms that all this is made up of, our bodies and everything around us, is 99% empty space. Same exact proportion as our galaxy. I mean, our solar system is 99% empty space. And like the solar system, the, the atom has an, a nucleus like our sun, and it has, instead of planets, it has electrons rotating about. It's exactly the same system. The greater, the smaller, infinitely big, infinitely small, it's the same thing. So <clears throat> if you were in your psychical body in this room, your hand would pass right through all the material things. If your material body, your material body right now, when you move your hand, you're passing through psychical space, but there's no obstacle to you because it doesn't feel solid. And the reason it doesn't feel solid is your hand is not vibrating at the same rate as the psychical plane. So therefore, there's nothing. And same thing with the psychical hand. It's not vibrating at the same rate of the material plane. So um, it's all about the vibrations, corresponding vibrations. Now, one thing Daskalos used to do to train the students is he would take them out of their body at night while they were sleeping and into a room and he would say there'd be a chair in the room or something move the chair hand went right through it why well they were this is this was his training because he's trying to help you understand how this all works so if you're in a room and you see a chair and your hand goes through it know that you're in the etheric counterpart of the material world i mean you could imagine this in the psychical planes but just general basics how it works is you couldn't move the chair but if you could lower your vibration of your hand down to the vibration of the material plane then the chair seems solid and you could move it and so what's solid is physical, that's solid, psychical, psychical. It's going to seem exactly like this. Okay. Let's see what the other part of this. Wait, wait, wait. Is there a solid body? Right. Okay. Yeah, it's like a skeleton. So the, the, as we show them on the symbol of life, the symbol of life is the skeleton for the human being. It's not a material skeleton. It's a noetic, not noetical, noetic skeleton that is in all three bodies, noetical, psychical, and material. It's governing. However, in the psychical, noetical body, which means in our emotions and our mind, we have to work to shape it toward the perfect archetype. We have to reshape our material, our psychonoetical body toward the perfect archetype of which the symbol of life is the perfect example. Now we don't have to do it in the material body because our material body has already fully shaped by that skeleton. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, everything is a vibration. So, when the vibrations are matching, we feel it as a solid. So, the Karina's case, she uh, uplifted that the vibration in, through her work and in the meditation. Then the vibration, when the vibration is not matching, then we don't feel it solid anymore. This, this kind of uh, uh, experience. Uh, don't you have the experience when you are doing a practice and when you raise up the vibration very high, 
don't you feel everything like uh, uh, those material things are uh, unsolid, not solid anymore. And uh, the more we uplift you know, the vibration, then raise our vibration, everything which we felt solid is getting more like kind of the soft and solid things. Probably many people are feeling this, you know, experiencing this in the uh, exercise, in our exercises. So like that way, when the vibration is not matching anymore, we don't feel it solid. And when vibrations not matching, we feel it solid. And, and part of the thing you might be experiencing, I can't say for sure, I'm out there with you, but, um, when this happens, when you start to raise your vibrations and you have your eyes open, you, my experience is everything starts to shake and shimmer <laughs> and turns into like this ultra fine pixelization where everything starts to go like that. And basically what happens is this material world starts to get spacious and this other vision of the psychical world comes in. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but. Then when, once we get used to this condition, even during the existing in this dimension, we can see whole, whole things, all dimensional things are like kind of overlapping the scenery or whatever. So the unsolid and solid and solid. So by changing the, our vibration, we can feel the difference of the the solidness. I hope I can explain it well. <laughs> Her last question is, are some events in our daily life, our life fully predetermined or do we control everything that happens in our life? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I control everything that happens in my life. But this is a very good question because What's the difference between free will and destiny? Is it just one? Is it free will only or is it destiny only? No, it's both, obviously. It's both. And the best way to try to understand that is if you buy a ticket to go to Rome, once you buy the ticket and you get on that plane, unless the plane goes down, you're going to Rome. That's predestined. Once that plane takes it, you're going to Rome unless something intervenes. So that's like predestined. How you behave on that airplane is free will part. So you can do all kinds of things. You can meditate, you can drink, you can smoke. No, you can't smoke anymore. You can read magazines and all kinds of stuff. And it's similar with incarnation, with our life in incarnation. We've bought this ticket of incarnation. Now, none of us remembers buying this ticket, but nonetheless, we're here, so we know we have that ticket. So we're destined to come to Earth and incarnate. Now what? What else is predestined? Well, the entire circle of possibilities is predestined. There's no escaping it. You're going to be born as a child. You're going to grow, 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 and then pass over. That's, you can't stop that. If something comes in, like a plane crashes and hits you or something, yeah, you're going to interrupt that circle. That's part of the circle of probabilities. But the circle of possibilities cannot really be changed. You'll just reincarnate and continue on until you learn all the lessons of the schoolhouse of life. Mm -hmm. 
So it's both. And the other thing is what we don't realize is we're casting our destiny every minute, casting our destiny in this world and the world we're going to pass over to because all our thoughts and emotions are shaping, are creating our destiny. There are no coincidences. We hear that all the time. The reason there are no coincidences is because everything we're doing is producing something, bringing us the next life experience so that we can learn. Not all life experiences that are positive, but all life experiences lead toward good, lead toward something positive because you learned your lessons. Hmm? Three days ahead of us, it's already most likely uh, fixed and uh, predestined, predestined. But the, uh, more than the, uh, three days after, uh, by our own free will, we can change the future, the future event, or whatever. So okay. we can say both. We we can use our willpower and also half of them are the already predestined. <laughs> uh, this is from Bertold. I look forward to each session. Thank you for the opportunity to ask the questions. My questions are, what are the seven archangelic orders that work and sustain our body? Are they corresponding to each chakra? If yes, which chakras and what are the colors that suit each chakra the best? Okay. Um, the archangels work in every center. All of them work in every center. Every, they work in every atom of our body. So they're everywhere. However, on the symbol of life, center seven is depicting the work of the archangels. So I would recommend you only use the colors that we've been giving here with this beautiful sky blue radiant solar plexus chakra for the solar plexus, the rosy pink for the heart center area, and the gold, the, the canary yellow light, or if you can get it, get it gold. That's an even a higher vibration of the yellow. So those are the only ones we really need to worry about. We don't mess with the others. You don't need to. These are the these are the centers. They're not the not the tailbone center either, not the kundalini. That's the last one the mystics work on. So all we're supposed to do is to develop with the solar plexus, the heart, and the head. Why? Well, because we're trying to balance. We're a trinity, just like God's a trinity. We have an emotional life, a mental life, and a physical life. So by using those colors, we're trying to balance each of those three bodies, each of those three natures of ourselves. And he said, don't mess with that. You don't need to worry about the side ones. They take care of themselves. Because a lot of times we rotate these chakras, and in the rotation of them, um, they touch on the centers and awaken these side centers. They energize the side centers, but they, we don't ever really focus on them. We just let this the light that we're spinning around these central areas touch them, and then they uh, get energized that way. You want to say something? Okay. Uh, yes, Daniel mentioned a very important thing. Uh, in this teaching system, solar plexus, sky blue, and heart center, whitish pink, and the head center, canary yellow, 
or golden, whitish golden color, we concentratively working on these three main uh, centers, chakras. Uh, this is the most important exercise. And answering to his question, in our teaching system, in our uh, symbol of life, each, every center, and all center, we have all archangels. So in other system, uh, they have a specific angels or archangels and the, the different centers. But in our teaching system, in our symbol of life, in all center, we have all archangels. And but in some other ones, the exercise, center number four, five, no, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we have a color, we have the advanced exercise. The color, the color matching with each centers. But so far, we are focusing on the main centers. Got a lot of questions today. Yes. <laughs> now, he continues on and asks, uh, what's the meaning of the two prayers we say before practicing or healing? Especially the first one. I don't understand the meaning of some of the words. Wow. The first one is the great, great prayer. And it's two parts. It's actually two prayers. Christ rose the first part when he was 16. And he added the second part when he was feeding the, the feast of Bishida, where he made the fish and the loaves. Um, they're very good, very, very good prayers. But you have to enter, for prayers to be effective, you have to know what you're saying. You have to enter into the meaning of it. So I'm just going to go through it real quickly. Our Father, who art in heaven. Notice he's calling our Father. Christ isn't saying my Father. He's saying our Father, which is telling us that we're children of God. The second part. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The name is a vibration. What is hallowed just means holy be thy name. So it's a vibration that's being expressed. And we should, well, the, the point of the prayer is God doesn't need us to pray to him. We need to pray to align so we can feel the benefit of being in the vibration of God. Uh, okay. Holy be thy name. Kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in all the heavens. When did God's will and kingdom not where, where and when did God's kingdom not be on earth? Nature kingdom, totally obeying everything. It's just totally God's kingdom and his, his will. Perfect. The only place it gets messed up is in man, the human kingdom. Man is the only creation that goes out of harmony with its own environment we, and itself. This is an amazing thing. So, He's trying to tell us, so oh, thy will be done on earth, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. But it means on earth means in us, in human beings, because it's been already being done every place else. Okay, what's the next one? Our Give us this day our daily bread. This daily bread is the etheric vitality that we draw in each day. We're kind, so this is the daily bread. And lead us. Oh, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgressed against us. This is just more of the teaching. We, we can't, we spoke about it already. We have to forgive others if we expect to be forgiven for our mistakes. 
And I think most of us really would like us like ourselves to be forgiven if we make a mistake. I want somebody to hold it over our heads, right? What's the next one? <laughs> uh, you know, I've never tried doing it. It's just one. Yeah. Lead us for we are in temptation, deliver us from evil, yeah. for blind the kingdom, and the power. Yeah. Lead us while we are in temptation. Human beings are in temptation 24-7, even while we're asleep. We are in temptation all the time. So what this part of the prayer is saying is, lead us. Lead us through this tempting time. Now, these are two things. The temptation and being tempted are two different things. Because we're all tempted, whether we bite in and bite into it and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the temptation or not. We're all under tempta being tempted. But once we do accept the temptation, now we want to pray, oh, oh, help us get out of this. Help us get out of this thing. Because it's evil that's making us being tempted off the path. So now we're asking to be helped once we uh, have succumbed to temptation. So temptation is a test. Succumbing to temptation is an ordeal. It's a trial. And it can go on lifetime after lifetime. It can go on for years. It can go on for days. It can go on for weeks. The quality of being tempted, that's what we call the devil. That's his, his thing, to tempt us. He's tempting us like to try to help us learn not to be tempted. <laughs> but anyway, so we ask God to lead us while we're, we're being tempted and to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory. That's the three natures of God. Next one, absolute infinite. Well, he was more concerned about that one. But the other one is, again, we're just trying to raise our vibrations to tune to him. And we're stating things like your absolute love. Or your, well, whatever we say there, we're just saying those things to try to come into attunement with them. I think we should move on here. He has one more question. You have something to say on that one? Okay. Uh, I already made a meditation. On the prayer, the attuning with the meaning of the prayer. So it's going to be released soon uh, in Patreon. So uh, please use this uh, method to attune with the meaning of the our prayer. Uh, the reason, as he described it already, uh, the reason why we create a meditate, uh, create a, a prayer before our healing whatever we do, is just simple reason to attune ourselves with God. God doesn't need a prayer. We need a prayer to uplift our vibration, to attune with the level, the vibration of God to do good work. So in this sense, rather than reciting mechanically, the, the word of the prayer, we really need to know the deep meaning behind the words of a prayer and attuning with that vibration to reachable high, to, to reach the reachable high and the uplift our vibration and do that. The great good work to serve ourselves to God. So let's practice together later. Okay. His final question is There is a ring of asteroids between Mars and Jupiter, supposedly a former planet called 
and Theon, could you please tell us more of what this planet was and who destroyed it and why? Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, that planet gets it is There was a planet there. The asteroid belt is the remnants, remnants of the physical planet. But it's called different names. That's what's called it Marduk, something like that. It, different people give it different names. And it was an existing planet. It had human beings were incarnated on it, and they were going. And it kind of reached our level where we are sort of about right now. But they didn't restrain the aggression. They didn't restrain the egotism. They, they built it. And they had a huge war on the planet, and it blew the planet apart. Now, I'm telling you what Daskal is saying about this. And um, what happened to the planet, physical planet, is chunks, right? It says that the Earth was a piece of that planet. Um, but what happened to... So this planet blows up, this big chunk goes out in space. It's probably still fire evolved from the core of the other planet. And it takes time to cool down. It has to be ready before people can incarnate on it. It has to go through a lot, long, long geological changes. So what happened to the people on that planet? Did they just go back to God? No, they didn't. They of course, you're killing your physical body and the physical planet doesn't mean you kill the psychic body of, of the planet or the, your psychic body. So they exist there in space. You can't see the planet, but there's a psychical planet there still. And because uh, you can't destroy the psychic. It, it dissolves when it gets time, but people can't blow it up like we can material. Thing. So these beings are hanging out there waiting for an opportunity to reincarnate to continue on the lessons that they failed. So Earth gets ready. There's a human life stream sent to Earth, a new one. But this old one comes to Earth, too. And if you look around on Earth, I mean, isn't there just absolute polarity everywhere? There's these people who just want to have all this war, and there's people who want peace. Some of these, these people, these people that blew up the planet that didn't get the lesson, they're retaking that lesson now. We'll see how it goes. But I can tell you this. Dasklos has said that he has in contact with certain of aliens who said they will not allow man to do that again to planet Earth. So no worries, it's not going to happen to us anymore. But it's the same kind of thing going on. Let's move on. Okay. Eric's asking, when looking at out into the environment, I like to calm all thoughts and emotions and focus on what I'm seeing. Often, I notice the scene becoming brighter and more alive. Is this scene more into the etheric double of the environment? When trying to see the etheric double, is it better to do it with your eyes closed or open? Really, in calming your thoughts and emotions, and then trying to focus on what you're seeing, why it's just like a pure witness without all those thoughts and emotions. Basically, what you're doing is you're cleaning your visors. It's like wiping your glasses to just calm down the emotions of the thought so that you can see what's already there more clearly. 
That's what's happening. You're starting to see what's there more clearly once you calm down uh, emotions and thoughts that distract you, for example. Um, is it better to do it with your eyes opened or closed? I find with my eyes open, I like it better with my eyes open. I'll just say that. I, it's whatever you want, whatever you get used to, whatever works for you. You know, some people can look with their material eyes and not see the etheric. But if you learn how to soft, make your eyes soft, which means don't really super focus on the thing itself, then it's easier to pick up this etheric vibration. In fact, Dasclos gives us a, a little practice where you go out on a bright, summer day, blue skies, no clouds, and put your back to the sun and look up high and make your eyes go soft. In other words, don't super focus on it, make it soft. And you'll start to see these etheric vitality moving. You'll see, you can see it. Sometimes at very fast speed. So for me, I like it with the eyes open. Okay. Um, once we start to think something or feel something, immediately we go, we access into our psychoanalytical self, which means we belong ourselves to the world of duality. But when we stop our thought, our emotions, immediately we can be in the present moment. You know, in our daily life, we are always thinking or feeling something, which means we are always, most of the time, accessing our own psychonoetical world, which is in the world of duality. But once we stop this kind of movement, movement of our thought or movement of our emotion, then we can tap into the present moment which has everything, all levels of vibrations, all levels of aesthetic, mind aesthetic vitalities. So we can open the gate of all levels of life energy. That's why, Eric, you feel more uh, aesthetic vitality, lively, which means you are trying to get access, tap into the deeper, deeper levels of the mind, aesthetic vitality by stopping emotions and thought. So that's why most of the meditation, in the many teaching system, first, you know, we try to get rid of our daily emotion and thought because that pulls us down to the world of duality. Please stop. The key point is we stop, stop our movement of our thought. Then immediately we can be in the state of observation, which it brings us to the higher, highest level of the energy. Please try. I have a question um, from a new student from Korea. How can we choose our job? Well, you can use the law of attraction. That's how you can do it. Uh, but first, you have to be clear on what kind of job you're looking for. What's what's in harmony with you? So I would suggest you take a piece of paper and write down some of the things you would like. Your job, 
to be about? To give you freedom? I don't know. Just just figure out what what's important to you and try to imagine, write it down, then try to imagine a job that would give you that and start to seek it. Seek and you shall find. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, in this teaching, we have a word that Carlos said, think with your heart. Uh, when we try to find a job, uh, we think with our, you know, head, okay, I should do, I should do this, I should try this. This is important, but after thinking deeply, why don't you have some opportunity to ask your heart and how the heart telling you, you know, uh, is it really what you want to do or not without thinking with your head, think with your heart. And if heart smiles to you, both, if both says yes, good job for you. This is my opinion. Okay, that's so far. Yes. Another question? Yeah. Uh, up here. Up here. Oh, okay. Manuel? Uh, the next one, Manuel's asking if we're going to have a course or an online webinar or something. Yeah, we'd like to do go back to physical seminars, but you know, <laughs> weirdness of the world right now is what it is. So we're trying to see how that's going to break. Right here, you know, Texas and Florida, completely no mask. Uh, everything's free. 17 other states, no mask. They're canceling the back. The states are canceling the vaccine passports and all that kind of stuff. But um, in Indiana, I just went into a store the other day yesterday and people weren't wearing masks to the workers, which was really exciting to see. So we think it's going to break soon and then we're going to make a plan. Otherwise, we're going to do an online course. Mm -hmm. um, he also asked, uh, is there any kind of program in the Researchers of Truth School? I mean, for example, the Three Sons Meditations daily for some time and then a specific course on healing practices. Um, well, I mean, it's it's we're trying to we're trying to create that kind of a course right now. Daskalos just came down, sat and talked and talked, and he didn't categorize it. And so that's our job is to try to categorize it and then present it in a way that it's easy to make step by step approach to these. You'll never stop. There's no end to researching the truth. So we're trying to create those things now. We've, we've done some in the past, and the next one we're kind of interested in doing is getting started on the, 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 the very basic part of the symbol of life teaching because it's such an important practice in teaching. So, yeah, we hope to have some soon, and we'll, we'll definitely notify everybody who's on the mailing list. And the Medibus exercise, Medibus meditation, uh, I will provide, you know, according to the healing category, according to the introspection category. So step by step, uh, I will make the, uh, the study of the, the, as the course, which leads us to the exercise of the symbol of life at the end and creating uh, the system. 
how to work on this, uh, how to work on practices of this teaching system. Yeah, and he continues on and just keeps saying the same thing. And it'd be nice to have a reference of study of which to do. And and really, this the, our, people ask me that all my life since a meeting desk. So I wrote Swimming with the Whale because it is sort of that. But we really need to make it a much more uh, defined course curriculum mm-hmm. and we, we're, we're working yeah, on that it's coming yes thanks manuel okay well eric had a great question but he, he's removed it now so i don't know what to say about that one uh oh here it is um i've enjoyed following the practices following you on patreon please i can't read it adam and eve story of Oh, yeah, this is an area. Uh, yeah, the Adam and Eve story. And the original sin. Well, there is no original sin. That's just BS, really. And Daskal said it was just a Jewish invention to explain how man came to the planet. Because man was always supposed to come to the planet. He's never not supposed to come to the planet. So this idea that, oh, he's, he's sinned and he's fallen, now he's down on earth, is just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And if you take the same Adam and Eve story and go back a thousand years or so to Sumerian, it's the same exact story. It's Adam and Eva, I think it's called. Same, almost the same names. Same story, everything's the same, except the tree that Eve gets the fruit from is upside down. You can see this in their art, the Sumerian art. The tree is upside down. So it has its roots in heaven. And you see her her and Adam there in the garden, she takes the apple and the snakes in the tree, hands it to man. Opposite story. The story is woman is gives divine or celestial energy to man. That's the symbol of that. Of course, the apple represents earth itself. The snake in the tree is not the evil one like in our story, like in the Jewish story. The snake in the tree is there because it represents eternity. The snake in the ancient to the ancients represents eternity. Why? Because it sheds its snake and continues to live. So this was not a dangerous, bad symbol. It was just stating this is the eternal story. So, um, and it actually, I, I haven't pinned all this down yet, but the Knights Templar, they went out of uh, to protect the Jerusalem, pilgrims to Jerusalem. And when they got out, they got the real story on this, on the, on the, the Knights Templar got the real story on uh, Adam and Eve. When they came back, they were mad. They they knew that they were being told the thing. Women is woman is made made the bad guy in the story. Whereas before, she's praised, right? So this is just a culture's spin on it. You know, putting a spin on it. You have yes. I'm making a, a meditation. Adam and it's it's coming soon. So let's meditate together. Next question is, why are humans originally initiated into this earth experience? Do we come free will, free of sin, and become sinners in our first incarnation? Do you believe we come as sin? Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about this before. We have to come out of this oneness with God to understand really what the oneness of God is. What to what we are really, too, as well. So we about we have to come and go through this process and slowly raise our consciousness until we reach self-realization. The question is, do we initially come free of sin and become sinners in our first incarnation? Or do you believe we come as sinners? 
definitely we the first incarnation we are not sinners we are it, I, it's it's even hard to describe it but it, it's it's they come without sin because they haven't come to the worlds of existence yet they haven't come I mean, come into material plane where the law of cause and effects kicks in before they come there when they're in eden which is just the etheric counterpart of earth there's no sinning, there's no killing of animals, there's no killing of each other. Everybody's content. But when you come to the mineral plane, they all, now it shifts. Now it's different. Now you now you got to eat an animal to survive. And then some animal is trying to eat you to survive. So now we have different things. Now we have the law of cause and effect. So we start sinning once we get here, not before we come, obviously. And, you know, the, the story is really well depicted in Cain and Abel. You got this one guy who chooses wisely and does good and God favors him. And then the other guy who doesn't and he gets, you know, he kills, he kills the good guy. It's, it's the, the forces in man. It's a symbolic story. But it's the forces in man toward destruction or toward real life. We will go back to that state at the end. Mm -hmm. If we don't come sinners, where do I go? Why do we sin? Hmm. I guess those are from Jeannie. Okay. If we don't come to sinners, why do we sin? Because we're being tempted. <laughs> it's the process. We have to be tempted. We have to make the mistake and have the bad experience. That, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And we have to make the good mistake. Oh, that's a good thing. We should do this. We're trying to learn. We're trying to process all this duality till it becomes so, we become so high that even the sin just looks like undeveloped good. Ignorance. I, that's why I like the, the Hindu system. It's not God and the devil. It's the truth and the ignorance. And that's really what it is. Um, so once we're here under the law of cause and effect, we have, we're tested, we're tried until we get this. And it takes so many incarnations. It's a long, long process. Do you have something? Mm -hmm. We are destined to experience it. Uh, as we talked before, the, the difference between archangels and the human beings, we predestined to experience those kind of uh, law of cause and effect. But at the end, the very end, we will take a lot of souvenirs instead of realizing we are God. So that's going to be a great treasure. That's why probably the human beings came down on earth. Uh, Sorry, it's going so long, but we, these are good questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. L. Eric, he, he put his question back. Um, from the perspective of the teaching, what's the best thing to do with our material body when it dies? It really doesn't make a lot of difference. The only difference is the etheric vitality with the material body. Once the, we as a self-awareness pass away from it, there's still etheric vitality in the body. It's not nearly as strong as it was when we were in the body, but the, each cell and atom has its own etheric counterpart. So there's still a lot of etheric vitality left. But with cremation, that's burned all at once. But if you bury the body, it takes 40 days for that 
the theory to all pass away. So really, from the standpoint of the self-awareness, it doesn't make much difference. But it could be a little bit like um, uh, the story attributed to Alexander the Great, that when he went, did all this world conquest, when he landed, he would burn his ship. And he burned his ship, so the 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 his his crew had couldn't think of retreat. They had to win. There's no way out. You know, they burnt the ship. It's a little bit like that with the material body too, because some who know how they can still, after they pass over, they can still use the energy in that material mm-hmm. body or another etheric, another material body that's where this self awareness has passed away from. So they can do bad things with. It. They use it kind of an anchor. So burning it all off right away, there's no way back. Chris is asking, how does one choose which exercise to do each night? I'm also learning more advanced ones in the webinars, and I try to stick for a long, long time. In fact, even the masters still do the three sons. So you're given the kind of the better exercises in the beginning. And then as you get in, we give you more advanced ones to take you to higher, higher states of consciousness. You know, Aki leads you into very nice high levels of consciousness. But as far as you mastering the etheric, the basic ones that given the first are the ones that uh, produce the best. And again, I said in Swimming with the Whale, I, I put an exercise at the end of each chapter, the basic ones. So it's, it's sort of doing the same thing. It's kind of leading you to more advanced exercises. I love Aki's one. I love Aki one too. But should we also practice sometimes the more advanced ones, more than just once? I mean, after the webinar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I like to get into a, a meditation or practice and just keep doing it and just feel like really, really deep minded, you know, trying to get the most out of it. And then you say, okay, I'm ready for another one. So you, you, that's the way I work. And that's the way most of the researchers work. It's not so much like a, something written on the wall we have to follow rigid, rigidly. It should be something that we really are drawn to do. Then the meditation is better. May I talk? Oh, my. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, de- I, I mentioned that the, the last week Patreon already, uh, taking the six months, uh, I've been more and more focusing on the, the foundation how to, how to, for us, how to proceed into the further exercises. So I didn't provide any advanced exercises because I know how much, how important to create a the strong foundation to, for us to move on. So I will, would like to provide more and more advanced exercises, but the, you know, uh, without knowing how to breathe deeply or how to breathe consciously, how to breathe uh, relaxed completely, you know, without mastering uh, aesthetic breathing, whatever advanced exercise we do, we can gain a little uh, benefit. So I really would like to proceed step by step steadily. And when we create a strong foundation, then whatever we you know, try, the other, you know, whatever advanced exercise we try, we 
we will be able to have a great benefit. So uh, please be patient. You guys already are patient a lot for the six months. We finally finished the basic breathing exercises. Then we will proceed into more and more further exercises, uh, categorizing healing the part or the exercise of uh, the aesthetic vitality. So please uh, go one by one. Al Summers is asking, I would like to know more about that Sumerian story. Well, I mean, there are parts of the Sumerian story, not all of it, but parts of it, that our Bible looks like it's just a retelling of it, of their story, that, that they existed earlier than the Jewish people. So it looks pretty much like they've taken that story and just dressed it with Jewish sentiments. And we just spoke about the Adam and Eve, which is so close. But there's another one, the flood story. The Sumerians had the flood story before the Jews wrote it. And it's the same story. You know, God comes to some guy and says, uh, man's not behaving right. I got to purge the earth and I'm going to, you're going to be saved. You build a boat, take your friends, take your, take animals. And there's 2000 of those flood stories or worldwide because it really happened. And that's, I'm going to write all about that. I've written all about that in the swimming or you are the whale book, the next book. Uh, it's a great story. The other part of it was, um, same flood story, also Moses, he goes up to the mountains. God gives him 10 commandments. He comes down the mountain and says, hey, everybody, I got 10 commandments to how we should live. God gave them to me. Well, of course, when somebody does that, they don't really say, well, no, you didn't. How do we know? They didn't do that. They just accepted it. And a thousand years before, Hammurabi, the lawgiver of the Sumerians, goes up the mountain, gets told these laws of how people should behave, comes down the mountain. He gets 15 laws. and uh, it's the same thing. So it, it looks to me like they've definitely siphoned some of the ancient stories off and redressed them and present them as in the Jewish text. And they are true. It's not that they're not true. It's that they're symbolic, though. Do you have anything? Mm -hmm. Okay, the last one he asked about is, what would be the results if I practice the practices in, from swimming with the whale for a year? everything would be changed. <laughs> There'd be lots and lots of changes. First of all, you'd start enjoying better health. That's the first thing that happens from our practices. You start to enjoy really, really good health, unless you do something to contradict that. But the exercises bring you good health. That's one of the first things they give you. Um, because human beings are the ones that give meaning to everything that happens in life, some collectively say, yeah, that means we all agree this means the same thing. But every one of us is giving our own meanings to whatever happens in life. So when you do these practices, slowly, slowly, what you start to do is raise your consciousness. Your awareness starts to be uplifted. And pretty soon, you don't see things like they used to see them. And the best one, and this can happen pretty quickly if you're a good, sincere student, the things that bothered you no longer bother you. That's a great freedom. You can't believe how great that feels that life can always be bothered by this one thing. And then you start to evolve spiritually or unfold spiritually. And the next thing you know, well, that's nothing. I don't, I don't give it that much meaning anymore. So it doesn't bother you. 
So these are some of the great things that happen. But for sure, your self-awareness will change about who you are and what you're doing in life, as well as what you understand life is. That's a good question to, to end with, but that's, that's what I would say. What would you say? And whatever we learn, please adopt it into your daily life. Use it to your daily life and to express a better self. This is the highlight of our teaching. Wow. Good. We managed to go for two hours here, so sorry. That's <laughs> fun. I love the questions. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Ask uh, lots of questions. And we'll see you next time. What? No. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.